in our course titled Healing from Emotional Trauma, Breakups, and Betrayal. We learn why releasing the pain of the past is so difficult. You'll learn strategies to make letting go easier, as well as release the energy in your body trapped from that pain. Register today at www.iamdenise.com or call 404-850-5151. Everyone has been hurt in relationships. However, many of us are not able to let that pain go. This prevents us from truly moving on with our lives and instead we become victims allowing the past to interfere with our right to be loved and be happy. We simply mud up our joy by holding on to what feels better in the moment, expressed or suppressed anger. People have a tendency to get trapped in their anger and pain. After they've been hurt and as a result, they become stuck. There are mental, emotional, and physical reasons why it is difficult to release the pain, but there is one universal reason why we should. We do not deserve the continued toxins that anger deposits in our bodies, minds, spirits, hearts, and being. Sometimes life isn't fair and knowing that makes us angry. We watch ourselves be betrayed, hurt, traumatized, and mistreated. We sometimes can't help but to be angry, but we owe our healing to ourselves. No one else owes that to us. People often think forgiveness absolves the other person of anything that happened. You'll discover this is incorrect. One area that can make it difficult to release the past is the misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. We will explore forgiveness and a range of tools to use as a part of your personal power. We will focus on nurturing yourself, changing your thoughts, and discovering how to manage your feelings. In this Denise Life Coaching Services course, you'll learn why forgiveness is crucial to your mental emotional and physical health, how childhood beliefs can interfere with releasing the past. You have the power within you to release the past. Forgiveness brings freedom. You'll learn why releasing the past is difficult and what you can do to make it easier for yourself. You'll learn the emotional, mental, and physical causes of your pain. You'll discover misconceptions about forgiveness. You'll receive specific strategies and exercises to assist you in letting go of your pain and moving forward towards the life you want. If you are tired of hurting from broken relationships, betrayals, and loss, and ready to take action to release that pain, register today at www.iamdenise.com. Welcome to the Let's Talk About It podcast with your host, Denise. Denise can be found on IamDenise.com and all social media platforms. On Let's Talk About It, we dive into the path along the journey while celebrating the human spirit, resilience, and ability to grow beyond limitations. Are you ready? Okay, then let's talk about it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It podcast. I'm your host, Denise. And today I have a special guest with me, Roman Marinoff. 
Roman, welcome to Let's Talk About It. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Denise. The pleasure is mine and it's a privilege. Thank you. Well, I'm particularly grateful that you're here today because of the topic that we're going to be talking about. Before we get into the topic, I wanted to share some statistics with our audience and then we're going to just kind of dive into it, okay? So according to some online research that I did, it says that 35% of all internet downloads are related to photography. So 35%. Um, it also says that, um, and this was pretty old, so 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts and that 34% of internet users have experienced some kind of unwanted exposure to pornography. Um, and it also says that one third of porn viewers are women. So I think a lot of times that we're talking about pornography, there is this, and this narrative sometimes that it's more so of like a man's thing, a man's issue. But according to the statistics, one third of the downloads of pornography are actually downloaded by women. And so, that kind of bleeds into what we're talking about today, which is pornography addiction. I commend you for being vulnerable and um, courageous enough to share your story and your experience with our audience. And I really wanna have an open dialogue about what that experience was for you, what you lost, what you gave up, what it cost you, and essentially what you learned from being an addict and how you're able to help people to navigate. So thank you so much again for sharing your story with us. And I'm really thankful for your vulnerability because I'm sure a lot of people benefit from it. So talk to us a little bit about your story. How old were you when you saw your first um, pornographic material? I would say I was around 11 or 12 years old when my my friend actually found a what was a VHS tape back then. And so we watched it like three or four friends. So we said we sat down one day in my friend's apartment and just watched it from the beginning to the end, a whole movie. Oh, wow. Okay. And while you were watching it, you know, because a lot of times I imagine a bunch of young boys are around watching something like that and they haven't seen anything like that before. Were you instantly aware of, you know, something physical happening with your body or did you get those sensations after that, that encounter? You know, I think that at that point I did not think about masturbation. I did not feel any specific, any specific sensations other than of course erection and I think that the, the experience of actual masturbation came later when I connected the dots, sort of, because I started to feel, you know, sexual pleasure from leaning to objects, like leaning to a chair and just rubbing myself on that chair. And I was sort of having an orgasm, maybe even earlier, let's say eight or nine years old. But and then only later, maybe let's say at 12 or 13 years, I was able to understand that I could actually, you know, jerk off with my hand and it made sense 
Okay, so it seems like a lot happened. So before you actually watch the video, there were some curiosity in terms of your own body development. And then of course, being exposed to pornography kind of connected the dots in terms of like sensation and, oh, okay. So that makes this feel that way. And then did you find that you started to want to watch it more as a result of these dots kind of coming together? Yes, absolutely. Because it was so exciting. Like every time it just, I, I was pulled to it and I sort of felt that what, it was a natural thing for me to do because I was extremely shy. Even though I had some moderate success with girls at that point, you know, when I was 13 or 14 or 15, I still was so shy that going to porn and craving porn seemed natural to me. Do you think that a part of the reason why you leaned more towards going to pornography instead of having actual um, developing relationships with your peers stem from issues that you were having maybe with self-esteem or like your own identity or even your, your shyness as you described earlier? So were you using a non-relationship to kind of substitute for a relationship which you think you would not be able to cultivate? I think it was the shyness. It was the some, some sort of problems with the self-image. So I did not think that I could cultivate a relationship. I thought I could actually, and I did a little bit, but I was too shy to, you know, to keep it moving forward. Because I, I would, you know, start seeing a girl a little bit. We would go out maybe once or twice, but then that was like my threshold. I couldn't go beyond two, two dates, let's say. How much of that do you think had to do with the fact that if you're watching pornography, you start to have some expectations as to how that actual relationship could uh, fruition? You know what I mean? Like, are you thinking if you're having a friendship or a relationship with someone that at some point you're wanting that relationship to kind of mimic the things that you see happening in pornography. And then when that doesn't, you know, kind of like go in that direction, it creates a disinterest. You know, at the, in that period, which we're talking about, let's say 15 years, that was not an issue. It became an issue later when I was married and I actually wanted my sex life with my wife to be to be quite like that we can see in porn okay all right so that's a good transition because i often wonder when men watch pornography if they're really expecting when they do have intimate relationships with women if they're expecting that kind of presentation for lack of a better word did you find that in relationships that you had in real life, there was a certain level of dissatisfaction because you wanted it to be like what you, and, and especially if it's at the point where you have an addiction, that means you're watching it a lot. And so your expectations now become, okay, I want my sexual encounters or the sexual part of my relationships to mimic pornography as opposed to whatever those natural connections are did you struggle with 
Yes, I did. And thankfully for me, it did not get too intense, but it still did influence what, what I wanted and what I was feeling. And for me, those were like beautiful lingerie, stockings, maybe high heels. That, that was my thing. That was my thing that I got from pornography and wanted to see in my real sex life. So it sounds like you actually didn't have an opportunity to develop natural interests or tendencies within a sexual nature because they were basically programmed from what you saw in pornography? Mm, I would say no, because, because when, I, when I had my, when I created my first relationship, which was for four years with my future wife, and then we got married and we lived for seven years, so in the beginning of my relationship, and even in, in those years when I was single, before, before I actually got to know her, and we met and we started to date, I was, I, I can't say because there, is, there was no influence on my sexual life at all, because I did not have one. And the influence began a little bit later, let's say two years into our marriage. And let's say that's six years since the beginning of the, of the relationship itself. So okay. I would. I'm sorry. So you're saying that you didn't have a sexual relationship to be influenced by before. So was it a situation where you waited until you were married before you guys were intimate? Okay. I, what I'm saying is that until 21, I did not have sex. Okay. I, I had no sex life. So porn did not really influence my sex life. Did it influence- in, in, in the sense, in the presentation sense. Okay. Did it influence your desire, though, in terms of what you liked and what you wanted? No, that's what I'm saying. I just, I, I just wanted sex. It had that influence, but later... When I actually was married already. Okay. When you were married, prior to being married, and you're having a sexual relationship with your uh, wife-to-be, are you still watching pornography at this point as much? Or is there a decline in terms of how often you're watching it now that you're in a relationship where you're sexually active? I would say that my graph of watching porn of the frequency was going up and down depending on, on the situation in my relationship because you know when we, when we had any fights or any kind of disagreement, I would go to porn as a sort of an, a coping mechanism. Okay. So in those, in those moments, I watched more of it. Okay, but for the most part, do you feel like without the conflict and you having to use it as a coping mechanism when things were okay, were, was there a decline in the amount of time that you would basically watch it? Oh, yes, definitely. All right. So it's, it's at, at some point you realize now that you're using it as a coping mechanism, you know, to avoid conflict or confrontations or whenever you're in a, in a space where you're just not feeling good, then you go to something that you know will make you feel good. Yeah, that's fair to say. Okay. 
And in your childhood, going back a little bit, recognizing now that you used it as something to make you feel good, do you feel like there were things in your childhood that you were using the same coping mechanism in terms of going towards that because that gave you instant pleasure and instant gratification and helped you to maybe bypass or not really deal with some of the things that were happening at the time or they're just two two things that just happen to occur at the same time i think i mostly went for immediate gratification because I, I did not really have serious problems at that point. So my, my most common trigger was just boredom. Okay. Boredom and pleasure, right? Yeah. Pleasure that came from me. Okay. Now, using it as a coping mechanism in your marriage, when we come back from the break, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think it's so profound that now in retrospect, as you look at, you know, where you were at the time, you're able to identify that, hey, you know what? I was actually using this whenever I got into a space where I wasn't feeling good. So I was using it as a coping mechanism. All right. When we come back, we're gonna continue talking to Roman Miranoff about porn addiction, getting over it, living through it, and how you can get help if this is something that you're struggling with today. This is Denise, you're listening to Let's Talk About It and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm your host, Denise, and my guest today is Roman Marinoff. And we are talking about something that affects one in every three Americans and it is pornography. Uh, Roman's been very vulnerable and willing to have this conversation with us. And I'm so grateful, as I expressed before the break, that you're here having a open dialogue. And hopefully this can help someone feel less isolated as they're going through this themselves. So before the break, we talked about your recognition now that you are using pornography as a coping mechanism. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that, about what your typical response would be in, you know, a situation where you, you didn't feel good. One of the biggest triggers for me was actual depression that I got myself into around 2008. So I, I felt, I felt pretty awful. That was one of the lowest points in my life. And I absolutely did not want to, to stay conscious. I wanted to sort of, you know, kill the lights in my head all the time, not think about what, what's going on, not think about what happened. So I just went straight to porn all the time because it was such, such a good thing. I could spend 15 minutes not thinking, jerking off, getting some pleasures, getting some good feelings and I've, at that point, I did not eat, really feel any shame because of my depression. I thought that that gave me a perfect excuse. I was using it like medication. It's interesting because I just heard you say that it allowed you to not feel whatever it was that you were going through. So 
So not only were you using it as a coping mechanism, but it sounds like you were also using it to dissociate and disconnect from the feelings of whatever it was that was happening in your life that you wanted to avoid. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's true. I did not want to feel depressed. So that gave me a break from depression. And, you know, that is, that is the narrative of how addiction works. And a lot of times when the addiction is a consumable or, you know, if, it's, if the addiction is, you know, drugs, people look at it as a more escalated version of addiction than addiction to pornography. But talk to us a little bit about the addictive elements. So people who don't really see this as a addiction, if they see it as kind of like a hobby, talk to us about the frequency and how you have been able to identify this as an addiction that you had based on you know, how it affected your life? Well, I try to keep the definition really simple. If this is something that you feel that you cannot control, then it's addiction. If you can't control it, it's not. Okay, how did you know that you were not in control of it? I knew, I knew that when I actually, yeah, th that was exactly how I realized that I had no control over it because I would, like normally, I would masturbate a couple of days a week, normally, quote unquote. Okay. But when I, I really went to the slowest point, I found myself masturbating a few times a day. So it was like a cycle I was going through and that was clearly for me a sign that I was not, I was not in control and I was just wasting too much time on it. How did this affect your marriage? How did it affect your family? I'm not sure if you have um, children or not, but how did this affect them? How did you see your addiction affecting your family? First of all, I think that one big thing is just really time. It was taking my time and energy away from them mm -hmm. because I would need to go to, let's say on the weekend, I would go to the office, spend the whole, the whole day in front of my computer looking at porn and, you know, wasting time <sighs> like with, you know, in some other ways. And I, I just wasn't there. I mean, I, I could spend the entire weekend away from my home. That, that was the biggest thing. And the second biggest thing was, was the fact that, of course, my, my libido decreased. I did not want my wife as I had wanted her before. So my attraction to her was way lower because I was wasting all my testosterone and basically my, my semen elsewhere. And I think that my divorce that came years later was one of the direct consequences of this, this addiction. While you were going through this process of being addicted, did you find that you had to lie to yourself and lie to your family and lie to people around you in order to feed this addiction? You know, I lied indirectly, I would say, because 
they were not asking me whether I was watching porn and masturbating, but I had to hide, right? I had to hide in my office and I had to hide actually by doing things such as cleaning up my browser history, just really just hiding porn from my wife. When you started earlier, we talked about how you and your friends just kind of like went and found the VHS, right? And so back then, it's like you had to find the VHS, you had to make sure your parents were at home, you had to coordinate, you had to do a lot of stuff in order for you to have access to that. So I imagine the frequency, despite the addiction, was still limited based on lack of accessibility, right? Now, how did that change for you as technology progressed and the accessibility of pornography went from the VHS, the VCR, the schedule, to basically having access to it at your fingertips? Did your frequency increase? Did your addiction worsen? How did that, how did the, what impact did technology have on your addiction? Yeah, you're right. Accessibility made, made it, made it more, you know, easier for me to watch porn and jerk off, definitely. And I would, you know, I would become, I would be spending so much more time on in, in every actual episode of masturbation because I would, I was like, just, just like an addict, I would download one movie, then another movie, then the third one, because, you know, I couldn't get satiated and I wanted to get like the best scene, the best shot, like the best porn model. Yeah, so I, I was insatiable. So you're talking about more time, right? That's that it's taken. You're talking about um, becoming desensitized in a way where it requires more for you to get to that point of pleasure. And it's definitely sounding like the impact that this is happening in your, on your actual sex life is drastic because if you're not even able to get to that point with the source that usually gets you to that point, then I can imagine how desensitized it must have been to even try to recreate that heightened sensation outside of, you know, the parameters of all of, you know, the presentation that comes with pornography. And so what impact did that have in the intimate space of your marriage? That, that's a good question, because at some point, I started to want my wife to present some of those images that we see in porn. And as I mentioned, I wanted to see some stockings, lingerie, high heels, and, and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't going into too intense stuff, but mm -hmm. still, I did want my wife to sort of meet my expectations that were created by porn. Did she know about your addiction during this time that you were asking for these things or was she thinking, is this another woman? Like, where is this coming from? Because it, it seemed like the sexual behavior was changing. So is this, how did that play out? Was she aware that there was an addiction or did she ask like, what is this about? Is there someone else? How did that play out? I don't think that she asked. 
I think I, I was quite sly about it. I was quite manipulative. And maybe sometime I would just make her watch porn with me together. And then I would point some things that say, wow, this looks good. We should try this. I, I could do something like that. Okay. And how did she feel about that space? Because for you, that was a natural space. Were you evaluating whether or not she was comfortable with that space in terms of watching it with you or experimenting with you? Or were you really just trying to make, meet a need so you weren't evaluating that component of it? Mm, I wasn't evaluating her attitude. I was just so selfish. I just wanted it. I knew I wanted it because porn actually rewired my mind. It rewired my expectations. And I thought that this was completely normal to expect these kinds of things. So I did not even bother to get her on board. What role did pornography play in your divorce? I think on, on a more spiritual level, it depleted me. It depleted me of the, my ability to love unconditionally. So I had all those expectations. I had all those requirements. And I probably, it really left, I would say, a karmic hole in me. Mm. And I just, I, I, I was always too selfish. It was always me, 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 what I wanted. And I wasn't thinking about how I, I could be actually contributing. I, I should I should have been contributing to my relationship way more because this is how any relationship works. You go there to give love. Wow. When we come back, I want to talk about the turning point, right? Because now it seems like this addiction has cost you the most important thing in your life, which is your family. And so when this happens, when we hit rock bottom and we lose something that's so important to us, quite often, this is the catalyst for change. And so I wanna to talk to you a little bit more about this being a catalyst and how it shaped you into who you are today and the work that you do today. You are listening to Let's Talk About It. This is Denise and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm your host, Denise, and my guest today is Roman Marinoff, and we are talking about pornography addiction. Thanks again, Roman. I've said this before. I'm so appreciative of your vulnerability to talk to me about this and also to talk to people that's listening. So again, I just want to say thank you so much for that. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Before the break, we talked about... Um, the addiction being a source or one of the causes of your divorce. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious as to what that was like for you the moment you realized that as a result of this addiction, it had resulted in essentially you losing your family. What was that like for you? Hmm. Well, losing my family was, was quite a devastation at that point because I actually, I actually thought that my marriage was 
for my entire life. I was, I, I come from a traditional background, a traditional family. So that was my belief. And when that belief ended, my biggest realization was that my expectation was really ungrounded. And the reason I understood this is that I sort of expected my, my marriage to, to, to go great all the time without me investing anything into it. But I, I actually had, had had to do that. I had to have those relationship skills that I did not have. And that was like two big realizations. The first one is devastation. The second one is that I, I did not have the relationship skills that I needed to run a family. What role do you think pornography played in you not being able to a cultivate, you know, a relationship the way that you should in order to have the kind of marriage that you wanted and that you expected, and b you not realizing your inability at the time to cultivate that relationship? I think one big reason was again, using it as a sort of coping mechanism. So whenever I felt challenged in my relationship, instead of working on communication, instead of working on unconditional love, what I would do is I would just go to masturbation and porn. That's it. So I was, I was replacing the effort that I needed to take the real effort by this, you know, veneer, veneer pleasure that was completely unsustainable. You know, listening to you talk about this experience and the, you know, just like the introspection that I know you had to have done in order to be able to speak about it from a place where it's so raw and so vulnerable and so honest. I, I, I just, I can't imagine the work that you had to do in order to be in this place. And so I want you to share with us those moments of realizing that there had to be a profound change in perspective, in attitude, in spirit, in psychology, in the rewiring of your brain in order to ultimately be the person that you are today like walk us through that a little bit you know what i realized first of all is that i had to go back to the dating world and mm -hmm. at that point i when i made my first steps back into the dating world and that was in 2014 seven years ago i, I realized that i i just I not only did I not understand women, I realized that I, that they, I, I never, I actually treat them as men because I never realized that there was such a huge difference between men and women. And at this explain point, that I, a little bit, when you say you treated them like men, like explain that a little, a little more. I would basically disregard that women have what I call feminine energy in them and which makes them feel feel the world very different from compared to men and I know it's uh, I'm generalizing here totally but mm -hmm. 
like the main idea is that for men are more logical and women are more emotional. So, and, and I actually treated my ex-wife as she was a logical man. So you disregard, it sounds to me like you're saying you realize that you were very disregarding of women's feelings. And a part of that to me seems tied still to pornography because even with seeing women in that kind of sexualized way without developing those real relationship skills, it doesn't require any kind of feelings for you to process, for you to internalize, for you to deal with when in fact it's just, you know, from the pornography, it's really just like a sexual nature. So there's no processing of feelings. There's no evaluating. You know, I wonder, you're not saying, I wonder how she's feeling, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the porn. And so you were unable to make that transition in real life. And so you were using the same point of reference when you're dealing with a woman versus when you're dealing with a man, which was not to be aware or mindful of their feelings. Yeah, that would be fair to say. Yeah, that's very good. Very good. It's possible yeah. that you were also ignoring men's feelings as much as you were ignoring women's feeling because you were cut off from the act of feeling within itself, but more so with women because you're, you know, married to a woman and that's a, a part of the canvas of womanhood is, you know, I'm feeling, hear me and feel me. <laughs> right. Okay. Yes. Wow. Okay. So continuing to the transition that we were talking about earlier before I digress. Um, continue to tell us about the shift that you became aware that you had to make as you recognized that you had a problem. Yes, I realized that I, I needed to learn all those relationship skills and dating skills in order to, to get better with women and create another family and start dating, start dating again, because there was no way I could do that at that point, because I just didn't know anything. I was so, so immature in that area. A part of the maturity or lack thereof seems to stem from having this go-to or this escapism to run to whenever things got tough or whenever things got difficult, right? And so as you run into pornography, those relationship skills aren't being developed. When you, when you decided that you're going to change your life and change your course, now you're developing relationship skills, but are you also decreasing your exposure to pornography or did you do like cold turkey? How did you transition from that being an addiction for such a great, amount of years in your life how how did you transition I, I just want cold turkey I want cold turkey and I've been I've been on this journey for for almost seven years and during those seven years I had two short periods of relapse maybe a couple of months but basically I've been clean for seven years and by the way just just to give you the uh, a couple of definitions that people normally use with regard to porn addiction. There are two important terms. The first one is no fab 
and people use the word fab as a synonym to of to masturbate. So no fab means no masturbation. And the second one is PMO, which stands for porn masturbation orgasm. So I've been free from fapping and PMO for, for almost seven years. Wow. How do you feel about that? Like when you say that, how does that make you feel? Hearing yourself say that. You know, right now I, I'm sort of used to it. So I, I take it for granted. And even though that I'm, even as I, I'm saying it now, I, I realize that I should not take it as. Are some days harder than others or is it pretty much kind of even keel for you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Some days are harder and not, not because of boredom or unhappiness. That's, that's not. That's not something that I would use now to escape those things. I would never use porn as, as a coping mechanism because I, I broke that neural connection with it. When did you realize that the addiction of pornography didn't just affect you, but it was actually something that was paralyzing to a lot of families and a lot of individuals who or like suffering in silence? Like, when did you recognize? Because a lot of times when we're going through something, quite frankly, we can't see like the macro element of it. You know, it's just like, woe is me. Like, why me? This is happening to me. When did you recognize just like the macro element of pornography? I think the first realization was when my cousin talked to me about it. And he said that, he was actually struggling with porn a lot and he was he was playing poker professionally online so he spent all his days at his home in front of his computer and it was whenever he lost he basically went to pornography to you know again as a coping mechanism so that was that was the point and were you open with him about your experience or no at that time no okay and so when did you become comfortable with talking about what you'd been through, what you had been through and the struggle that you face dealing with that addiction? Mm, I think the first time I talked about it openly was a year and a half ago in, in my YouTube video and a blog post. Oh, wow, really? Oh my. I, I, you have to send me that and I'm going to like insert that here. So you just went on and you just like walk me through that. Yes, I wanted to, I was, you know, testing this niche because I felt that this could be something that I could help people with. So I just, I told my story and I said that, okay, these are the tools that I use to get myself out of that situation. And this is something I believe that I can help you with as a coach. Okay. And what were some of the tools that she talked about in that video that you used? I, I don't remember the specific tools that are in, in that video, but I would say my, my regular tools is like the main one is the replacement habit. So 
because we are dealing with real, really strong habit that has taken deep roots in your nervous system. And it's like, because every time you masturbated and watch porn, you added a, like a strand to it. And now it's like a very, very strong cable. So mm. it's not, it's not really easy to just cut that cable cold Turkey and you have to give your mind. Isn't that what you did though? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, you'll see where I'm going. Okay. Yes. So if you just remove it right away, your mind will rebel. It will say, Hey, Hey, where's my cable? Where's my habit? I want it back. And it will make the pain of missing that habit. Even I would say twice as more difficult. So what we need to do is we need to give it to give our brain something, a habit that will replace that one. And that will make things much more easier because there won't be that void. So you will, what you normally do is you, rep you reprogram your mind. When it says, okay, I want to go to porn. You say, okay, I understand this. I appreciate it. I appreciate that you want to protect me from whatever, whatever bad feeling I'm feeling now. But here is another habit for you which I'm using to substitute the old one. And the more you do it, the, the faster that old habit will go away and the faster the new one will be installed in your mind. What habit That's, did you use to replace the, that habit? Yeah, for me, it was pretty simple. So every time I went to bed, I listened to music. I listened to a music album of a band that I like and why would this work for me so well I was actually looking forward to it and it's important to make that habit pleasant that helps even more if it is pleasurable so I would deny myself listening to music during the day and the only time I would listen to music was when I went to bed my bedtime so that helped me install the new habit in place of the porn addiction habit quite fast. I wonder the same thing that I do about other addictions and how some people are able to use, um, you know, in counseling, it's a cognitive behavioral therapy, which sounds like, you know, some of what you're, you're utilizing. And for some people that work and for other people, it doesn't. Quite often, especially if there are deeper rooted issues that, you know, lies beneath the surface in the root cause of the habit of pornography. So in your particular case, I don't recall there being any childhood trauma or sexual abuse or, um, you know, any major significant event that kind of bled into this coping mechanism or this habit or this symptom of the abuse, because a lot of times what happens when people have a sexual abuse history, they get into pornography or promiscuosity, or, you know, these are some of the, the, the tendencies that come out of some of those traumas. So I think it's a little different depending on the root causes of the addiction and also the person's 
emotional health and coping mechanism and uh, resilience and ability to follow through on, you know, systems that they are rewiring or putting in place in order to have this result. And so in the line of work that you do, how are you able to help those people whose problem has a deeper traumatic baseline and pornography just happens to be the addiction, you know, that they're struggling with as a result, because that's where it gets a little tricky for me with sending someone to therapy or recommending that someone work with, you know, a licensed practitioner versus a person who's just pulling from their own experience, not to negate your experience, because obviously he, he who feels it knows it. However, I think that it's a very thin line between, you know, a pornography addiction as a result of just kind of like getting into it because you were kind of bored and it kind of like felt good. And then before you know it, it's like you want to do it all the time. And someone who has like deep rooted trauma that is the foundation of, of this addiction. So in your work, are you recommending or deviating some people to traditional therapy or are you basically like all inclusive where you're doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. A very good distinction. If I see, if I see there is a root cause that leads to porn addiction and masturbation, I definitely want to work on the root cause. And for some people, they're different. And let me give you two examples. The first example is a guy who, who had anxiety. So in, the, in his case, what I did, that's, that, that's not my specialization. So what I did was using coaching tools to help him with that, and which basically means helping him not worry about the future, but just focus on focusing on the present and focusing on, on good goals instead of just worrying. And for him, that did not work. So I re referred him to, to therapy. You were saying the second client... Yeah, the second type of clients are people who, who actually go into porn and masturbation because they feel lonely. So their problem is that they don't have a relationship. And this is something that I can help with. I can help them create a relationship and stop loneliness. And that helps with porn, porn addiction. I think that's very commendable that you made that distinction because quite often with coaches I find that they're literally practicing therapy without the license or the training to do so and you know I'm not an advocate and I have a master's in counseling and I still tell people okay yeah but you know I'll kind of guide them to traditional therapy when I see that there are those root causes and I think that that is a, a pretty good distinction that you make in terms of people, you know, having issues with relationship building, people skills, you know, really kind of having the tools that they need in order to develop these relationships, but maybe not necessarily having the self-confidence or the know-how. And being that you've been in that space, I think those are tools that you're able to share with them, not just objectively like, oh yeah, well, I don't know what you're going through, but here are some tools. And I think that people always feel better when they can identify with a person that's helping them to navigate 
through a process. When we come back, we're going to continue to have a conversation about what you do and how you're able to help people on a peer-to-peer -peer basis. You're listening to Let's Talk About It. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm talking today about pornography addiction, and I'm speaking with Roman Miranoff about his peer-to-peer -peer practice in which he helps people who are struggling with pornography addiction and the obstacles that they face as they go through this often isolated experience. Before the break, we were talking about, I mean, just so much we've covered so far in terms of the changes that you had to make, the paradigm shift that you had to kind of apply to your life in terms of being consciously aware that you have to rewire your brain in order to break free from this addiction you've had for quite some time. And now you're able to help others to do so. So take us back to the work that you did. So you recognize you had this addiction. You talked about substitution of habits, right, earlier. And so now you've substituted your habit. And I'm sure there, there are multiple tools that you've utilized and you, you start to see the addiction start to break or start to subside. And so what did that feel like for you and how did that motivate you to continue? Well, frankly, Frankly, I, I'm a pretty disciplined person. So for me, when I made the decision, it was over. It was over. And again, I, I took it for granted. I, I just really stopped thinking about it. So for me, I'm blessed in this way. So if you're that disciplined, though, what made you not apply this discipline the entire time that you had this addiction? Because it sounds like you're like, hey, I just told myself I'm not going to do it. And then I put some things in place and then I didn't do it. So what prevented you? Because, you know, there's some people listening that would say, if you're able to kind of stop doing it, like when does it go from the line of a hobby to an addiction? You know what I mean? Like with that discipline, why did you not utilize it earlier in order to break that addiction? I would say the main reason was immaturity and not having, not being conscious of it, just, you know, being in general unconscious. And as I was increasing my consciousness slowly, maybe even becoming more spiritual, I realized that, that this was something that was not beneficial to anything in my life. And that, that gave me the discipline. And what role did spirituality, because you just mentioned that, and that was going to be, you know, a question that I asked you later, but what role did spirituality play in you breaking this addiction? Because it sounds like it actually played a pretty significant role. I wouldn't say that it was a big role at that point. Right now, I think I'm a little bit more spiritual than I was seven years ago, mm -hmm. but I felt it. I felt, I think I felt it my entire life that when I was just, just like I mentioned, that was like this karmic hole that I created in my soul by, you know, doing this because this, this behavior that was detrimental to my family and ultimately to my health and to, to my mental health. So 
I simply realized I, I, I just became more aware of this problem as, as time went on. I, I sort of was aware of it, aware of it at 25, but I just, I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't conscious enough to understand it. And with, with some spirituality that I was able to cultivate just a little bit, just a little bit. I think my eyes opened to it more and more until, until a point that I realized that, I mean, if, if I'm thinking about my karma, this is definitely not conducive to living a good life. Do you regret not having this epiphany while you were married? And do you think if you did earlier that you could have saved your marriage? Or was the pornography just a part of the reason the marriage didn't work out and not the bigger part? Well, the truth is I have this no regret policy. So I, I do my best not to look in my past and what I do with my, any mistakes that I made. And it was a mistake, of course. It was a mistake. So I just, I'll learn from it and then I move on. I don't think about it. So there is no regrets, but definitely that was a mistake. That was a mistake. And that's why, that's why I talk to my 11-year-old son about it now very carefully. But I do, I do talk about it now. And do you think that it's a conversation that people, that parents should be having with their kids at a younger age? Because I think you mentioned that you were 11 or 13. Yes, 11. 11. And so your son now is 11. Wow. So I imagine it's almost full circle and if you had not done the work and you weren't able to recognize you know the addictive elements of it and the detrimental effects that it can have on the rest of your life that you wouldn't be in a place to where you could basically prevent your son from going down a road that you were not able to avoid that's true that's true because even when i talk to parents you know just just the people that I come into contact with, I, I tell them that it's a good idea to teach their, their kids about per, the dangers of pornography. They say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to have that conversation with my kid. It would be so embarrassing. I would, let's say if I talk to a wife, she says, I, well, I will let my husband have that conversation. And of course, the husband will never have it because they might be, he, he might be addicted to porn in the first place himself, you know, so it's. And uncomfortable. I mean, I have a 16 year old and literally just the thought of like talking to him about, about the birds and the bees. I was like, yep. Talk to your dad about that. <laughs> you know? right. you think it's something that we just haven't mastered the language and also based on just society in general, you know, and I, I think, there is a market there too for educating parents how to talk to their kids about it because these kids, they know a lot more than we think they do. They really do. Like my son tells me stuff. I didn't even know what OnlyFans was until he's like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so-and-so. So they have a lot more exposure because they're on the internet constantly. And according to the statistic, 34% of internet users have been exposed pornography unsolicited 
And some of this 34%, you know, are children and very, very young, young kids. Um, you know, as I'm listening to you, I, I'm of two minds because I see and I hear this person who seems to have utilized, you know, a lot of discipline and a lot of um, thinking and a lot of um, structure in order to break this addiction. And sometimes, you know, the neurological implications of addiction is so deeply ingrained that people lose everything. You know, they, they don't lose family, they lose families. Because, you know, if they get a divorce and they go into another marriage, they didn't take care of that problem. They just learned better how to hide it or how to conceal it in a second marriage and in the third marriage or in, you know, in multiple relationships. And so I'm listening to you and I'm watching you and I believe that with your tools, you've been able to have that work for you. But I also am aware of people who struggle with addiction in general, sex addiction, porn addiction, substance abuse, whatever the addiction is, and they don't know where to start. And when they start, they relapse, not twice in seven years, but multiple times. And with the relapse comes shame. And with the relapse comes this narrative of what they should have been able to do that they were not able to do. And it's a different experience than the one that you're having. What do you say to those people who they're not able to just, you know, listen to an album and redirect that energy, that pent up whatever. They're not able to not see the visualization of porn every time they're with an actual person. They want the actual person to make the sounds and do the movement and just be like constantly pleasured. And that's, you know, very non-realistic. And they're struggling with the integration of what reality is outside of the uh, pornography addiction and what reality is just in that space. What do you say to those people? Because you're having a different experience from those people, quite frankly. Yeah, I would say that this would be a very long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> because as you described, they have so many issues. I would, I would give them a message of hope in the first place. I would say that, okay, first of all, what's most important is your decision. You made the decision to stop and you're going to do it because I do believe in you and I do believe in people's potential and people are capable of such great things that porn addiction just pales in comparison to them. So you're going to beat it definitely. And the second thing I would, I would say to them is that relapses are actually, are actually good in the way, as long as we get the positive message from them. We dissect them, we see what triggered us to relapse, and then we're starting all over. And it's not a bad thing because now we're starting not from scratch, but we are starting from experience. Right, with a new awareness. Okay, okay. All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk about your program and we're going to talk about 
how you help people in this space with this issue and how people can find you online, um, on YouTube, on the internet, and um, how you can help them to navigate this journey without feeling so isolated. You're listening to Let's Talk About It. We'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned. Are you interested in being a guest on our podcast, Let's Talk? Well, if so, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you about whatever it is that's on your mind that you need someone to help you process or to help you just kind of externalize it. We are here for you and we are here with you. If you'd like to be a guest, send us an email to info at denisethelifecoach.com. That's info at Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, The Life Coach, T-H-E-L-I-F-E-C-O-A-C-H.com. Info at denisethelifecoach.com. I can't wait to talk to you. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. My name is Denise, I'm your host, and today we're talking about pornography addiction and how it can affect your life on a broad scale, on a narrow scale, and the awareness that you should have when you are dealing with pornography addiction. My guest today is Roman Miranoff, and we've been talking about his experience with pornography addiction, how he basically, um, overcame his addiction, and now he helps people to navigate that, um, that addiction. So before the break, I promised that we were going to talk about your work that you do with others who is suffering from this addiction and who wants to basically stop and start having control over their lives instead of being controlled by pornography. Tell me a little bit about how you help people who are in that situation and um, your your coaching practice that you do in this space. Good. So when when a person reaches out to me and they normally do do this for my website as a result of watching my videos or following me on social media, I set up a no fee breakthrough session with them and I spend an hour just talk it to them to understand their situation. And even that one hour might sometimes create breakthrough aha moments for them, which is good. I think that discipline, as you mentioned earlier, is very important. We live in a world where quite often people lack discipline. And so sometimes if you have an addiction and this is where you have to learn discipline, that can sometimes present a problem. So how do you help people who lack discipline just in general, right? Because if this is one of the the tools that is important, as I think it would be, because the dedication and the commitment and the discipline of following through is significant to breaking any kind of addiction. How do you help people who come to you without, you know, the foundation of discipline already there that you can kind of build on that or utilize that already existing trait 
to help them to walk through this process? You know, it's a very interesting question because I'm, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm not a magician. There is no magic wand that I can, you know, wave over their life and create discipline for them. Mm -hmm. I, I do my best. I, I use my best tools. I, I do my best to be inspirational, motivational, and really make them feel good about themselves and about our process. But in the, in the final analysis, I can't do their laps on the running track for them. You know, it, it all comes down to execution because let's say we, we meet once, once a week for one hour. And during that time we're together, but outside of that time they're by themselves and there is no way I can influence them. So the so, shift in mindset is important. Yeah, yeah. And th that said, I do, I do my best to motivate them. That I do definitely. And I see this as my role. And one way I like to do that is by setting goals, starting with small goals, because goals are very motivating. They're very helpful for discipline. Because as, as a person starts doing small steps, they see progress. They get inspired by their progress and they want to do even more. So that's a positive cycle, a virtuous cycle. Well, I definitely think we did not have enough time to cover the gamut, <laughs> you know, of, of areas within um, pornography addiction that I would want to. And, you know, as a result of time um, limitations, we're not, we weren't able to cover as much. But the one thing that I really appreciate was your honesty and your vulnerability. And I think that will resonate with some of our listening audience and the messaging behind making a decision that this is something that you want to stop seems like the first step and having a commitment that you're willing to go through a process seems like the second step. And if you feel like you're a person who is highly disciplined and related and, you know, kind of connected with your way of how, you know, broke your addiction, then they can reach out to you and we'll provide that information. And also, as we both agreed earlier, definitely advocates of support groups in your community, um, therapy in your area where someone specializes right in this make sure you don't just look for therapists and then just go look for someone who has experience working um in this area i know you're, you're in canada right you're in canada but in the day of um, zoom i'm sure that you have um availability and sessions where you can see people online so give us some contact information um so we can make sure that we have that available for people who may be interested in reaching out to you? Yes. The best way to reach out to me is go to my website, which is romanmiranov.com, spelled as R-O-M-A-N-M-I-R-O-N-O-V.com. Hit the contact tab, contact me for a no-fee breakthrough session, and we'll go from there. And make sure that you mention that you're coming off Denise's podcast, and I'll be happy to give you a 30% discount. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. 
Yeah, and my website, of course, has all the links to my social media, including my Instagram and YouTube, which I do put a lot of effort in. So be sure to, to check out, check me out on those media. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough for having this conversation. It's one that I think we're going to be talking a little bit uh, more about in, um, you know, upcoming episodes and future seasons. Normally, before I let my guests go, I give them an opportunity to ask me questions. Um, <laughs> and sometimes they have a question, sometimes they don't. So before we get out of here today, did you have a question for me? Yeah, I like I like the way you you know you gave a summary of what I said and and you also asked very very deep questions. So I, I was wondering where, whether this is something that comes natural to you or you learned this as you know maybe something that's that's helpful in your in your job as a podcast host. I think a lot of it comes from my personality one because I'm naturally very curious very inquisitive I was always an inquisitive child and having a master's in clinical mental health counseling and really going for that master's degree because I, I wanted to understand myself I went for my own therapy um, it really makes me very curious and sensitive to the landscape of the human experience. And I'm always interested in the layers beneath the epidermis. So when I'm talking to you and I have a person who's willing to be so open and so vulnerable, I mean, it really just makes my job easier because honestly, you've given me the opportunity to ask you any question that I possibly could. You haven't had anything off limits. You've given me you know, responses that I think a lot of other people would shy away from. So for me, I feel like I, it would be a disservice if I'm not attentive to the conversation and ask questions that I would probably wanna ask if I was listening to the podcast. So that, that's kind of where my, my nosiness comes from. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you're naturally inquisitive, good. I'm naturally Like Socrates, right? Socrates, yes, 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 absolutely. Because I, I think quite often people want you to give them a solution. And it is my belief that if you ask people the right questions, they can find the solution within themselves. And so a lot of times I love to ask people questions that will be a catalyst or a trigger for a certain line of thought whether it's to the person I'm interviewing or to a person that's listening. So I, it actually makes me really happy having those experiences because I feel like it's the most human I'm being in those conversations. Yes. Good one, good one. Thank you. Um, you've been listening to Let's Talk About It. Roman is really, really just talked about it uh, with us today. He was very honest, very vulnerable. And I think that a lot of people are gonna benefit from the conversation we had today. And I'm so grateful that you trusted me enough to share your story with me. And I know that someone listening will feel less alone in the experience that they're going through 
and will reach out to you because they want to break free from this addiction that they're going through. So thank you again so much for stopping by. You guys know I always say, take care of yourself and each other. You've been listening to Let's Talk About It. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast, Let's Talk About It. Feel free to support our podcast by selecting the sponsorship link on this platform. Drop us a line or even be one of our guests. Visit us on the web at www.imdenise.com to learn more.